So about 90 years ago, they would have been singing a new song in churches that would have had a very similar spirit of enthusiasm. And now we call it an old hymn, one very familiar. Hey, it's only 80, 90 years old. That's not that old. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, and then I repented of my sins and won the victory. I'm reading it, but you, know, you sing that, and it's like, you, know, you get to that part, and won the victory, and then we all know the next part. Oh, victory in Jesus. You, you sing the refrain or the chorus, or, or if you wait and do it the way that I think you're supposed to, which is after the, you're supposed to do the refrain after the three verses of the story, right? I'm looking to my music peanut gallery here. Is that... You know, so whatever the it's dealer's choice, right? Okay, okay, all right. See, I kind of like that because if you sing the three verses and you hold off on that refrain, then it's kind of like you're driving the car around the block, and you know you keep passing the uh, you know the the place you're going to stop, and then finally when you get there, because at the end of every verse you're wanting to go, oh, victory in Jesus, but you don't quite get there yet. Oh, victory in Jesus. Wait, we got to go back. So we read the rest of the story. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. And we're thinking, we know that, we know that. Let's get to the victory in Jesus. And I, how he made the lame to walk again. Okay, it's a miracle. And caused the blind to see, right? And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And this is the line I don't understand. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Did we pass out? You know, we're, we're, we're begging for the healing and then we wake up. It's like, you won. We did? The victory is ours now. Oh, somehow it fits. I know, it's a song. It's a beautiful song. I could never write anything like that. We talk about victory, and we talk about victory in Jesus, and, you know, we want to we jump straight to the idea of winning, and that it's better than losing, but somehow we won the victory, somehow. Uh, we sing about the days of Elijah. There's so many Old Testament references in that. Do we even know what all of them are? Uh, these are the days of Elijah declaring a temple of praise. What's that mean? I don't know, but I'm going to declare it. Yay. You know. It's good. It's good to sing it. You don't have to know all of it before you sing it. We learn. That's how we learn. We, we get used to it. Um, it's the wax on and wax off of church singing. You know, we, we, we learn karate. We don't even know that we're learning it. We learn this language. We, we pick up this language. But every once in a while, we have to stop in the language and ask, well, now, wait a second. What does that mean? 
Now, now here's the problem. Sometimes when a guy like me does that, we all stop and say, oh, he's going to take the fun away. You know, now we can't sing that song anymore. Oh, no, we don't understand it. Don't, don't let that happen. It's good to stop because we might grow if we can pause just for a second and listen to God and maybe understand some things and God reveals some things to us. And also, if you stop and you go slowly, you notice things that maybe you didn't notice. You have to stop and ask why this talk of victory, and, and, and victory is a, is a well-worn word in the Christian church. There's a lot of groups that follow Jesus that love the term victory. I remember, I remember one class of uh, people that met, and they were, um, they were kind of a support group, and they were, they were encouraging uh, each other, and um, they went to this small room, and they had a sign on the door, and we, we never really knew what they were doing, but we knew they were encouraging each other. The, uh, we called them the vicary class, because on their sign, they had a typo, and they left the T out. And so they forever became the Vickery group. Um, we, we use this language a lot of victory. But why? And here's the question I want to ask. How and why is this victory? How and why is Jesus on the cross victory? <clears throat> In the song that we sang from the hymnal, it described an image, uh, three, 369, it is finished. You know, on one side, you've got the forces of evil and all the demons. And on the other side, you've got the angels and glory. Okay. Two sides drawn up. The battle lines are drawn. The cross, Golgotha, is right there in the center of that battle. Now, if you didn't know the whole story... And even if you do, which one of those sides would you say won on the face of it? On the face of it, I would say, well, the angels in glory lost. That does not look like a victory for them. And even though I know, and you may be telling me, yeah, but finish the story. I mean, because actually it does become victory, does it? How? And somehow I won the victory. People are going to ask us this, and you're going to ask yourself this, and you're going to find moments where it may not be enough to just say, well, everybody always told me Jesus is on the cross, that that's victory, so I guess it will be. Why? Why did Jesus come to earth? We sing the song, we know that, because he loved me so, he loved, loved, loved me so. We sing the song. He loved me so. Okay, why did he come to earth? It's all about me. Uh, why did God become a man? Not so sure we got songs on that. Uh, we got scripture on that. We got scripture on all these. Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, couldn't there be some other way? Doesn't Jesus ask that question himself? Let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way? Our default 
to answer these questions is that there's a problem and God has to fix it. And the problem is some, somewhere along the line we got in bad with God. And the only way we're getting out of this is to spill blood. And so, like it or not, this is what we all have to do. We all have to have God go to the cross and die. And aren't we all glad now so that that doesn't have to be us? Now, there's some truth to that, but when you, when you reduce that down to that, follow me here, you're going to miss a big important point. When you reduce it down to that, what we've done is we've taken the gospel, we've taken the cross and reduced it to a blood sample. You ever talk to somebody and, you know, I mean, when you hear that somebody has to go to the hospital or go see their doctor, there's a little bit of concern, you know. They might have the greatest doctor in the world, but there's a little bit of concern. It's like, why are you going there? One of the ways you can alleviate that concern is to say, oh, it's just a routine blood blood work, routine blood sample. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I've never heard of anybody going there and getting stuck in the arm and dying right then and there, you know. Never heard of anybody, uh, you know, having their blood drawn and then they suffer with beriberi for the rest of their life. I mean, you know, okay, okay, good, good. This is just routine blood sample, routine blood sample. We get it, we get it. And when we reduce, when we reduce what's going on on the cross down to that simple little moment so that we can get through the communion in record time, we've reduced the cross down to a blood sample. Why did Jesus have to die? Because God needs blood. Oh, okay. Has to be bloodshed. Sorry. That's how serious this is. Somebody's going to have to take the licking. All right. When that happens, though, nothing ever matters. You see, we want to jump to the resurrection, and I think that's why we sometimes empty our crosses. We have cross imagery, and we like cross imagery with nobody on it. It's either cross for rent, or this cross is done, or I don't know. It's a cross. It's our jewelry, and I'm not against any of that. And if you've got cross jewelry, or cross tattoos, or cross emblems hanging on your wall, or whatever, well, praise God for that. That's great. I hope it I'm sure it does you a lot of good, and I'm going to affirm that. But I just want to think about it for a second. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. I just want to ask, you know, so, so what is all this about? Because if the, if the cross is just to get this blood, then we can jump to the resurrection and be done with the whole nasty mess. The resurrection just erases it all. Oh, it's the cross. Don't worry, we've seen the end of the picture. Resurrection happens. It's going to be all right. Everybody's waiting through the passion of the Christ in 2004. This is tough. Go get some refreshments. Come back right before the end, though. He comes back. Ah. And... and it's true, that's the story, but why the cross then? Why do, we, why do we have to write about it? Why can't we just say, look, Jesus went to the cross, but hey, resurrection, that, let's focus on that. 
Okay, so let's say we get the cross back and, and, and we haven't used the resurrection to erase the cross, which it doesn't. The resurrection does not erase the cross. It does something, well, we'll talk about what it does later, but it, it, not today, but at another time. It does something with the cross that no one else can do except God. All right. The problem is sometimes we use the cross as a blood sample to get rid of everything else. And so we, we, we move through his birth, his teaching, the miracles, the injustice of the cross, the fact that none of this should even be happening. And we get through it because we've got to get to the cross. We've got to get to the cross. Jesus was born. Yeah, we know the Christmas story. Jesus was born. Why was he born? Well, he's born because we've got to have somebody that goes to the cross. Okay. Jesus taught these things. It's really good stuff. It's really good stuff. It, it's it's shame nobody listened to it. But really, he's just there to go to the cross. He did miracles. That's just so you know that God's not fooling around. That uh, this is all being done by the Son of God. This whole thing's unjust. This whole thing doesn't seem right. Well, don't worry about it. It's all part of God's plan. God's got it figured out. They think they know what they're doing. And I don't think we're meant to absorb all this like that. It all comes together and we follow this. And if we can follow the unfolding story, we realize that what's happening at the cross does become a victory, but not in the way that we expect. This isn't a comic book battle where we just need the guy who can hit the hardest to win. Neither is it a... Uh, cosmic sort of uh, heavenly office paying the bills where, look, we got to take care of this so that the rest of us can get on with uh, a much better life. And in fact, you've got restorationist people in our movement who uh, in years past just sort of erased everything from Acts 2 backwards. What about the Gospels, we say? That's Old Testament stuff, really. Jesus went to the cross, he gave blood, now we're okay. I don't mean to seem irreverent about this, but sometimes when we just plod through the gospel and don't accept it, we're being irreverent. We're really being irreverent when we think, you know, this is real easy, it's like math. We miss out on what's really happening. We believe that Jesus is living, we believe that the gospel event happened, and we believe that it changes us, and it has a significant impact. All right, preacher, if it's not just a blood sample, then what is it? How is it victory? This is so simple. I can't believe I've, I've missed this. This is so simple. And I'm just going to show you one sentence. One sentence. I didn't write this written by John in one of his letters. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3.8 Why did the Son of God come to earth? To destroy the devil's work. Why did he have to die? To destroy the devil's work. Why did he become meant to destroy the devil's work? The reason, the purpose, the reason that the Son of God appeared 
was to destroy the devil's work. John just slips that into his letter just right there. He's talking about all these appearances of the Son of God. His appearance when he came to earth, his appearance when he's going to come back. You read through his letter, he talks about us becoming the children of God. And then right in the middle of it, he just lays this huge, significant fact. I mean, the the gravitational weight of this one sentence is like a black hole. It just, it has all the gravity. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You know what that means? That means that when we talk about the destroyer in the gospel event, that sounds like a name that you would give Satan. That sounds like a name that you would give the devil. I mean, the destroyer sounds like the bad guy. That sounds like the guy who, who's, who's really mean and nasty. But the destroyer is Jesus Christ, the destroyer of the devil's works. Now that is victory. But that victory comes in a way that you and I don't expect. Because if Jesus and if, if God had just hit harder than the devil and wiped out the people that we don't like, and wiped out the bad guys who were sinning. Well, we wouldn't be here today. That's part of it. And also, that would amount to the devil's work. Because that's what the devil does. He gets us so frightened and so scared. I mean, not just as individuals, but as communities, as families, as nations. As people throughout history, he gets us so worried that what we're going to do is we're going to hit the other guy before he hits us. But we're going to do it all in Christian love. We're going to preach the gospel on the, on, the, on the end of it. And that's the devil's work. If you can just hit harder, if you can just hit first, then you win. The devil's, Jesus destroying the devil's work is to take that whole game, that whole structure of the game, that whole structure of the field of play, and dismantle it. Just bring it down. The devil has his game going on, and Jesus destroys it. Destroys it by doing something that is unexpected. And this is where the cross and resurrection comes in. Now, in the weeks ahead... I want us to explore that more, but what if just for this week we lived with this simple statement? And then we start adding the context into it there in chapter 3. One of the things that would happen is we might stop and we might pause because here's the thing. You've just spent this time in communion and maybe, just maybe for some of you, this has been a time where you have been convicted of the guilt that you feel over the things that you've done this week, and you've prayed and you've asked God to help you overcome that. Good. Good. And, and maybe this is, maybe something happened today in that that's going to that's gonna help you with that. But I'm going to tell you this. If all that happened today was that you were saved from the penalty of your sins, then the next time you sin, 
or sin touches your life in some way, and it, it will happen, it will happen, then the next time that happens, you're going to have to repeat the whole cycle all over again. You say, well, no, wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. We're not talking about the blood of bulls and goats. We're talking about the blood of Jesus once for all, right? Yeah, that's what Hebrews says. But now I do have to show up and ask, right? Yeah. You know, I find out that I need to say these things sometimes because we get these ideas that, that, that circulate among us. And I think there's a lot of us who are just really afraid that God is like the, uh, the internal revenue service. And that when we all show up before his throne in judgment, yeah, he's going to take out this big book or this list and he's going to be going over it and he's going to be saying, okay, let's see, March 7th. 1978, mm-hmm. yep, you asked forgiveness, taken care of. February 12th, 1982, uh, ooh. you asked forgiveness, we're good. Okay, okay, looks good. Wait a second, April 4th, 1992, you didn't ask forgiveness for this one? No, it was just a white lie. My wife said, does this dress make me look fat? I mean, yeah, okay. But you asked for, no, I forgot that one. Well, we were going to let you go to heaven, but now, sorry, you didn't ask forgiveness. And we, and you know, that, that's, a, that's a silly way to put all that and everything, but the truth is, sometimes we fear that we are playing this game and it's rigged against us, and if we don't do things just right, then we get cut out of the victory. And I want you to stop and realize that that whole rigged game and that system of worry has been destroyed by Jesus Christ. That that pharisaical system of giving, you know, a tenth of everything down to the spices in our spice rack, and we forget about the important things. Or even if we say, we haven't forgotten the the greater things like mercy and justice. In fact, we give a tenth of mercy and justice to everyone we meet. The other 90% better watch out. Uh, When we think that that is how it's being done, then we, we haven't really trusted in Jesus Christ that he has destroyed the works of the devil. There's two other verses in the neighborhood with with 3.8. One is right before it. He says, you know that he appeared so that he might take away our what? Sins. That means he took away the fine that you have to pay for your sin. No, no, it didn't make sense. He appeared so that you can be on probation and you don't have to spend jail time for your sin. No. Took away the sins. We are not just saved from the penalty of sin. We are saved from the power of sin. He showed up to destroy the devil's work. Later on in, John, in 1 John chapter 5, he says, Every child of God can defeat the world. And you stop and you think about it. You mean these little kids that come up here and put the money in these buckets? 
They're not ready yet for that. We haven't taught them. We haven't trained them. They'll need to go to a Bible college. We'll have to train them properly. They'll have to learn how to do things. And then in about, oh, 70 years or so, when they're so tired they don't want to do anything, then they can defeat the world. No, they're defeating the world right now. When they run up there and they put a penny in that, they're, 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 they're part of God's troops to destroy the works of the devil. They're, they're, they're right there in the destroyer's army. Every child of God can defeat the world. That's you too. And our faith, our trust in Jesus is what gives us this victory. Somehow I won the victory. How did you win it? Guess what? John has an answer. No one can defeat the world without having trust in Jesus as the Son of God. The somehow is trusting that he destroyed the devil's works. I want to emphasize the difference between penalty versus power. Some of us have struggled with uh, drug use, substance abuse. Now, sometimes that becomes, sometimes it's legal, sometimes it's, it's illegal. And if you've ever had to face the consequences of drug abuse or drug use, maybe it was you or a member of your family... There are penalties involved. Now, it is quite merciful if if you or your loved one, say, you know, whatever it is, DUI, possession, whatever, if, if you are spared the penalty of that crime, great. That's mercy. But that mercy comes from the civil courts. We can say, yeah, but we prayed to God. Okay, did God have a hand in it? Sure. But the civil courts can't save you from the power that that has in your life. You can be spared the penalty of it, but only God and only Jesus Christ, who's destroying the devil's works, can spare you from the power of those sins. And that's the difference. And sometimes we're content to just let Jesus pay the bills. When he's saying, look, I want to come into your life and destroy the enemy's power over you. You see the difference? Let me give you another analogy, if that one didn't work for you. Um, it's one thing to look at the civil power that, that, that you have to deal with every day and complain about the government. Some of us are doing our taxes, and we find out, oh, we've got to pay in. Well, they're all, they're all, they got it all wrong. The IRS has got it all wrong. They, you know, I'm going to go to my accountant. We're going to fight it. And guess what? The taxes that you have to get paid in, they're forgiven. Hooray! Well, what about the charges and the penalties and the fees? They're thrown out. Ha-ha! Great! Now... Let's go back to watching TV because the penalties were thrown out. Don't have to worry now. That's, that's a good day for most of us. But if you're living in Venezuela, you want more than penalties thrown out. You want a dictator thrown out. Because, you know, they can say, hey, guess what? Everybody in Venezuela, you don't have to pay taxes. That's fine. Meanwhile, we've still got this dictator ruining the country. 
Jesus didn't show up to fix the problems with the law. He showed up to kick out the dictator of this world. That's the victory that is in Jesus. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Father, let us share in your victory. A victory that um, has not only released us from the penalty of our sins, but it has saved us from the power of sin and the evil one. May we live with this amazing good news this week and encourage others along the way. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to uh, come forward and share any prayer request with our shepherds, uh, if you want to meet with them in room 100, uh, we can do that now while we're singing this song. Let's